thank you for tuning in to Voice of Hope, a broadcast ministry by the United Christian Church, Rockville, Maryland. We hope you are blessed by the sermon you are about to hear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'd like to speak to you just a little while from the topic, Hath God Said? Five Misconceptions About God's Salvation Plan. Now, when we were in BBS uh, a couple of weeks or so ago, uh, I asked at the table how many had ever played what we used to call the telephone game. Some people might have known it by another game, another name, Pass It On. Uh, and there are some hands that went up and some's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, see, it's that, that little game where you start out with one person and as they act as though they're on the phone, but they're actually whispering a message to the person that is next to them, who is then supposed to pass the message on to the person that is next to them and so forth. When you get around to the last person, then the last person says the message out loud and everybody tries to see if it sounds anything like what got whispered into their ear and what they passed on, especially the first person. And as often as not, there were times when you would get to the end of the line, particularly if there were a lot of intervening people between the first and the last person, and you would find out that that message was significantly different than what it started out to be. Sometimes it sounded nothing like what the person <laughs> who started the message off was. And, and so it was a good example of how misconceptions can uh, happen in everyday life. But misconceptions about God can cost us a lot because we can end up right in the enemy's crosshairs and we don't know quite how we got there. So we have to be careful about just how we read and how we pass on the word of God, particularly when in regards to that most pressing of issues, the Great Commission. Uh, you hear a lot of strange things that people attribute to being part of scripture, and they're not necessarily. How many people ever heard the term, cleanliness is next to godliness? And there are people who will argue you down and say, oh, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I don't know what version you're reading, but <laughs> I don't think so. 
Um, and then, you know, um, that could cause much stress, I'm sure, among many homemakers. They have to feel like they have to be guilty because their house may not always be tidy. If you have children, ha ha. <laughs> In fact, depending on how far you carry it, people soon become more concerned about their furniture than they do about their family. Now, there are many of us who probably grew up and you know, you might be able to go certain places in the house, but some of us grew up when there was a room that you didn't go in there and disturb that stuff because that was where they took company when company came. You know, some people call it the parlor or you know, some people might have said that's the living room, but it really didn't look very lived in because it was always raised pretty much neat and immaculate. That was the area that was reserved, so when everything else, they said, oh, so-and-so is coming, and everything was, else was being cleaned up, but you could have a place that you could shepherd that person into and lead them to that place, and that was kind of already in order. And what about this? God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> Now that's what that I really laughed about because when I grew up, I, I really found out how much of a lie that was. Because I found out that if God didn't help those who couldn't help themselves, I would have been in a world of trouble. Amen, lights. You know, and I mean, this thing has gone around and there are actually people out there, many people who think that that's somewhere in the Bible. And so a lot of people think that they can work their way to heaven. For real. People think they can work their way to heaven. And therefore they miss the biblical teaching that eternal life is free. Romans 6, 23. What does it say? What does that say? Say it loud. For the wages... But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The wages, the payment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There, there are some other misconceptions about God's word that you'd be, uh, we should address today. So we're just going to roll through this and I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, First of all, and this one is another one, that uh, it is most unfortunate because many of us pass on maybe because somebody told us this. If you don't know the date you were saved, then you're not saved. Then what about those people who have memory issues later on? There are people who say that. You know something? Maybe everybody, no, I won't say maybe, everybody does not have the same salvation experience. Hear what I'm saying. If you saved, you got the same savior. But you may not necessarily have that same salvation experience, you know? There's some who have this spectacular experience. Uh, 
and, 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 and they know right well what the date was, where they were standing, who was standing next to them, what sister so-and-so perfume she was wearing as she was wafting over her, you know, but not everybody. See, some evangelists have, have been the worst at propagating this, this misconception. Uh, uh, you know, there's just like that, in the twinkling of an eye, when, person, when a person comes to that point where they go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, when that realization comes over them and they confess the Lord Jesus Christ, they, when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's that point. And not everybody is going to be able to stick a pin in that. See, not everybody is like the Apostle Paul, who's just riding along. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. <laughs> and gets smacked down off his mount and, and blinded and who art thou, Lord, and et cetera, et cetera. See, Paul would never forget, ever, ever, ever forget his salvation experience because it was spectacular. I'm sure that Ethiopian eunuch will never forget that he's riding along in this chariot and this guy comes running out of nowhere and say, do you understand what you're reading? And what does prevent me from being, no, I don't. And, the scriptures founded, and he says, what's to prevent me from being baptized right now? See, he will never forget that. Yeah, it was that little bit of water right there. Yes. I remember it was this time of year, and I said, don't matter. I, baptize me right now. See, he won't forget it. But not everybody has that particular set of circumstances that will allow them to just stick a pin in it. What's really important is not that you know that particular split section uh, that it happened. See, when scripture gives you the assurance of salvation, it's not going back and saying, on September 21st at 645, no, that's not what it says. The important thing is who you trusting now. Who are you trusting now for salvation? Who are you trusting? If you're trusting Jesus alone as your only way to heaven, for I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by. If you're trusting Jesus alone, that's your ticket. Not the time and the date stamp on it. But the blood of Jesus stamp on it. Amen, lights. If you trust in Christ alone as your only way to heaven, you're saved. Regardless of when you got cross. John 3.16 is not quoted as saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him and knows the date should not perish but have, no, that's not what it says. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Believe, believe, that's the optic word right there. 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There it is. This idea is critical because if a person buys into that misconception that they got to have this tap, tap down to a particular time, it's a hindrance to them when they want to reach out to somebody else and share their faith. Because they think, oh, well, if I don't know the day or the hour like Sister, Sister Do Good and Brother Do Lot, then I can't share my faith because I'm not like them. Well, thank God, praise God, you're not. The body would look pretty stupid with a lot of feet walking around. Or a lot of hands, or a lot of ears, and nothing else. We are fitly joined together. That means that, that piece fits in the body just like God meant it to fit. Amen, lights. Amen, lights. So we, we don't buy into that misconception. Secondly, if you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. Well, now, preacher, you're getting ready to get on my street now. I'm sorry. If you want to be saved, just invite Jesus into your heart. See, we, we mean well when we say that, but we don't explain what we mean by that. And a lot of people get confused by that. So invite Jesus into your heart means different things to different people. They often base this, this on Revelation 3.20 where we're told, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. With the phrase, stand at the door and knock in mind, many picture the heart of man as a door where Jesus stands begging us to let him in. And so sometimes we exhort the lost, just invite Jesus into your heart. Well, first of all, in that passage, he wasn't talking to the lost. He was not talking to the lost in that passage. You don't believe me? Read the beginning of Revelation, first of all, and then you can skip down to that part. See, don't have them reading somebody else's mail yet, because that mail doesn't belong to them yet. So, that verse, that, that verse is, is addressed to Christians, not non-Christians. Verse 19 reads, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Chasten means to discipline and is used of believers, not unbelievers. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. The passage addresses the church at Laodicea one of the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation 2 and 3. Their wealth at the time had lulled them into a spiritual sleep. They were kind of just dozing there. And Christ described, described this distasteful condition as being lukewarm and hence invites them to repent of that condition and to make him the center of their love and worship. Otherwise, he's going to upchuck. He says, I will spew you out of my mouth. So that, that was addressed to the church, and it was not addressed to those people who don't know him. Additionally, in three, Revelation 3.20, the Greek translation of in to means toward. 
toward. In, in this figurative language, Jesus is saying to Christian, he's going to enter the church and will come toward, he will advance toward you for fellowship. The word dine referred to the main meal of the day to which you were invited, an honored guest. So this is what he was saying here. It was a meal that was given to hospitality, a meal that was given for conversation. And again, the issue is fellowship and not salvation in that case. Why is this phrase so dangerous to use when we evangelize somebody? Because there are those who invited, quote, Jesus into their heart and sincerely meant they would trust in him as their personal savior and they are forever his. But then there are some people who think that by simply saying this phrase, I'm gonna chant this mantra. Okay. And if I just say this, then I'm saved. No. They think by saying and repeating that, I just, I just repeat this mantra and I'm saved. In this case, their trust is in the prayer, not in the power. It is in the prayer, not in the shepherd, the great shepherd. It is in the prayer, it is not in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference. Because when it says believe, what comes right after that? Believe on the stock market. Believe on the guy across the street because he dresses nice. No, believe on whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Amen. Amen. So, we want to make that clear. So, 98 times in John's gospel, that gospel that is not, unlike the rest of the gospels in, in a way, whose sole purpose was to tell us how to receive eternal life, John 20, verse 31, we are told to believe 98 times, 98 times in the Gospel of John, we are told believe. That is to trust in Christ alone as our only way to heaven. There is nothing wrong with someone praying to tell God that they're trusting Christ alone, but they must be aware that saying a prayer is not the saving virtue. It's trusting Christ that saves, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that saves. So we want to be careful that people don't get lost in the terminology. Make sure we say believe when we're sharing, which means to trust Christ alone to save them. Number three, when you miss the opportunity to share Christ with someone, it's your fault that that person goes to hell. Lord, forgive me. As a young buck, that, that was, that was I, I, I carried so much guilt behind that because I thought that that was, that was the truth. But see, the Lord, I, I should have known because what does he tell us? For without me, you can do nothing. There's a reason he tells us that. We can talk it till the cows come home, but if it is not 
it, if, if, it, if the Holy Spirit of God hasn't drawn him to Jesus, if Jesus doesn't draw him to the Father, then ain't no saving gonna happen there anyway. So we get that planteth, we get that watereth, but who gives the increase? Who gives the increase? Who gives the increase? Brother Dulot? No, God giveth the increase. Many believers don't enjoy evangelism. Go on, you can, you can fess up. You don't have to raise your hand, but yeah. And when they do practice it, they often do it out of guilt. Oh man, I know I should. Yes. Yes, we, we all should. But here's the deal. The, things that's, the thing that really sparks us to true evangelism is not guilt, but it's grace. You see, when I stand here sometimes, or even when I'm walking around sometimes, and I get a case of the I can't help it, I, I call it, and I'm just riding down, or walking down, or standing in the shower, and I just start to think about it. And the water that's running is not only coming from the spigot, but it's coming from my eyes, because I think of the goodness of Jesus. And all that he done that he didn't have to do for me, and for real, my soul does cry out, hallelujah. I, I talked to my brother uh, on my birthday, and we were just, <laughs> we, we were laughing and talking, and I didn't even remind him. Uh, well, actually, I didn't talk to him on my birthday. I talked to him a couple of days after it. And I, I you know, I'm just glad to be here for 60 years. So I wouldn't like, <laughs> You forgot my birthday. I don't care. That's my brother. I love him, you know. And, 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 and we have good fellowship. And, and um, as we, we were just reminiscing, going over the things, it's like, oh, oh, thank God. And so-and-so, my friend, so-and-so, so-and-so, so one of them who was in the car with me. And I said, oh, you know, that could have been dead, one of those few car wrecks, I just told you about a couple of but or, or near misses. It's, it's amazing. And he said, you know, Adele, man, he said, I, I, he gave such a staring testimony the last time I was in a service where he was speaking uh, uh, and, and, and just testifying to the grace of God. And, and I said, you know what, it is amazing that all of those people that I'm sure quite a few people around our town looked at us and said, and that wasn't a good, neither. But it's amazing how God just picked us off one by one. Just picked us, the grace of our Lord has just picked us off. You know, you pray for your friends, say, oh Lord, please bring them to a saving knowledge of you. Because as much hell as we raised, and as much stuff as we got into, I, you know, don't, don't, don't let hell be our destination. Don't let it be the final stop for any of them. And it's just amazing how many that the Lord hadn't just saved, but he has made ministers of the gospel out of that same group. Grace and mercy 
See, I, one of those, I, I tell you that to tell you this, one of those I, I, I got a little bit perturbed with, and this was a little while after I, the Lord had really arrested me and, and set my feet on his path. And I'm, I was back and forth with him, and he was a little bit disturbed about something that had gone on in his life, and I think he was a little bitter with God. And so I'm trying to minister and win him to Christ. And I, I probably wasn't being very Christ-like at about three-quarters of the way through this conversation because it had lasted a long time. And I wanted to see him. I wanted to be the one to stand there and say, yeah, you got to see him right here. I know I'm the only one that does that. So you, you, you want the sticker, the good conduct medal. They say, yeah, I, I, I witnessed to the brother. He got saved right there. Well, thank you, Jesus, for saving him right there. And, and we have had that happen with, with one of my friends. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be standing there as the planning and watering process was coming to the end. And the Lord says, okay, boy, I'm ready for you to come on in to witness that. But it doesn't always happen like that. It doesn't always happen like that. And so don't lament when you feel like you have, quote, missed the opportunity to share Christ with someone and it's your fault if they go to hell. Uh, no. Should we take every opportunity given to share the gospel? Uh, yes. But not out of guilt, out of grace. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let, let, woo, let me just tell you what, what the Lord has done for me today. You know, and people do that because uh, the other, because they misuse uh, sometimes Ezekiel 3, uh, 18 and 19, if you could pull that up. Ezekiel 3, verses 18 and 19. All right. Does somebody want to read that? Now, you say, well, isn't that saying, Ezekiel, if you don't tell him about me, that... Uh, that it's your fault that they're dying? No. See, this was Israel, who was being Israel, much like, like us. And the Lord had revealed his word, and revealed his word, and revealed his word. And they were walking in disobedience, and walking in idolatry, and walking in a path that was contrary to the revealed word that had been given them, as his people. What he was saying was warn them. Because guess what? The judgment that has been withheld is coming now. Yeah. Nebby and the boys, they, they coming this way. 
And so everybody that's outside the gate, too bad for them. You know, because they, they don't have a, a reputation for being nicey-nicey when, when it comes to prisoners and so forth. This was to his people already, again. Not to those that didn't know the Lord. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. He's saying that as the prophet of God, I have given you this assignment to my people Israel. And you deliver this. And if you don't deliver it, I'm going to require their blood at your hands. That's what he's saying to, to them. This is not a, a good passage for ministry or, or, or considering your ministry to the lost, per se. It's not talking about evangelism. God appointed Ezekiel as a watchman. Ezekiel 3.17. His job was to warn of impending danger. The nation was doomed. And only through heeding their watchman could they survive. Chapters 4 through 24 of Ezekiel contain his cry of alarm, which gave those outside the walls the opportunity to seek protection. It gave the people time to secure the gates and demand the defenses. The death spoken of in Ezekiel 3, 18 and 19 is physical death. Not talking spiritual death here. The context is the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem that Ezekiel predicted. So a person refusing to heed God's warning from Ezekiel could expect to die physically. Ezekiel was to warn the righteous, not just the wicked. If Ezekiel refused to speak God's message to people who came to his house, he'd be guilty of murder. This is the meaning of his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. By giving a warning, Ezekiel delivered himself from the responsibility of the coming judgment, and those who ignored his warning could only blame themselves. So one can see the danger when his idea is applied to evangelism. All of a sudden, we would be responsible for someone's eternal destiny. Who saves? Who saves? Jesus saves. Number four, if you come to me, I either want all of your life or none of it. You know what? If that was the case, this room would just might as well be empty. Amen, lights. I know that, I know that you all, some of you all out there are just so much holier than, than Minister Ely. And, and so you don't know what that preacher is talking about and stuff. <laughs> but no. See, this is said in different ways, but the meaning comes to us the same. Those, there are those people who exhort people when they're talking to them. Well, you can't meet God halfway. If you're talking to somebody that's in the world, then you might as well be Charlie Brown's teacher. Because the word of God tells us that those people, they don't understand, neither can they know what you are trying to express to them at that particular time. That's why it takes Jesus to draw. That's why it takes the spirit to, to, to draw. That's why it takes his infilling after we've been drawn and saved. 
Woo, hard tug here. They say, if you want to come to Christ, you must completely surrender to him. God will only do business with you if you mean business with him. He's going to get all of your life or he doesn't want any of it. Well, that would sure be a problem. Because, see, when I first came on what they used to call the mourner's bench, I knew. I, I, I could sing that song truthfully as a child. Oh, I know I've been changed. But that didn't stop me from teen rebellion, for sure. You have been listening to Voice of Hope. To support our ministry, text GIVE to 240-493-8490. God bless you for giving. Amen, lights. But do I know when the Lord says, okay, the foolishness is over? Just like he was saying to the people of Israel, the foolishness is over. I, I need your attention right now because I got something for you to do. Yeah, that was a different thing. Look at the third chapter of John. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. Right, Nana? <laughs> Turn in to John chapter 3. Look at verse 15. What does it say there? That whosoever, what? That whosoever, what? Believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Immediate reiteration. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at 3.18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Why, Why does it abide on him? Why does the wrath of God abide on, on, the, on that person? Because they don't believe. That's the operative thing there. That is the operative word. The moment we trust him this way, we are just as certain as of heaven as though we are already there. As a matter of fact, his word says, and ye are seated in heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. Wow. This misconception is, again, often based on wrong handling of scripture. So to support it, verses are cited that speak of discipleship and not salvation. Two different things. Two different areas of the process. Discipleship is post-salvation. Discipleship is post-salvation. Why? Because really you can't can't retain, you can't cleave, you can't hold on to anything that is God's stuff and your heart is over in the other land. Amen, lights. So it's a discipleship thing, not a salvation issue. Every Christian should be a disciple. But unfortunately, not every Christian is. Amen. In fact, Christ warned people about the cost of discipleship before encouraging them to sign up. If you look at Luke 14, Luke 14, verses 26 and 27. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, Yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Did it say, cannot be saved? That's not what he said there. He said, cannot be my disciple. See, when you, t- well, I'm, let me not get ahead of myself. See, salvation is free. But discipleship costs. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs. Amen. Here's where the misconception be, is, is a moment of defeat for us. Is there anybody who at any moment in here that can say that Every single aspect, every single scintilla of our life belongs to Christ. Is there anybody in here that can say that, that at at any given moment we can say that? That it is all 100% sold out, lock, stock, and barrel? Hmm. Exactly. All of us have, have those areas that we want to hold back. And yeah, Lord, take my life and let it be. Except for that room, Lord, you know, leave that one locked. I know the padlock is on, but you know. It's kind of messy in there. So I, I, if you please, just pass that one on. Pass that one by. Don't pass me by, but pass that room by. <laughs> Yeah, we have those things. There are moments that sometimes we, we want to take some stuff back from the Lord. 
If indeed he has to have control of my entire life, how can I speak with someone else about their salvation? See, there are areas that because you have been in a certain place, you can relate to that person that is out there. And maybe this, that setup has been just for you to be able to reach that person with the message of what Christ can do and has done and is yet doing in you. See, some people feel like, oh, well, I could never live up to that standard, so I just might as well enjoy myself and leave a good-looking corpse. No. It's a process. We used to sing that little song in Vacation Bible School. We sing it in, in little kids' chorus. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. Soldiers of the cross. And the next verse says, every rung goes higher, higher. And that's the deal. You are moving. In the words of the Apostle Paul, I count my, not myself to have attained. But this one thing I do. What? <laughs> Forgetting those things which were behind. And reaching unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the upward call in Christ Jesus. See, that's the stuff that you, that, that is an acceptable part of evangelism. Telling, not, not, not hitting a hundred, buddy. Don't even let me try to fool you like that. And anybody that says they are, they're not telling you the truth. But I do tell you this. Here's what Christ has taken me from. And I can see where he's taking me to. If not the whole picture, I can see a whole lot better now than I saw before. So when you're speaking to Christ about the, to, to people about the lost, uh, uh, you're speaking to people, lost people about Christ, I guess I should say, to explain a salvation is instantaneous, that's a good thing. Christ can save you right now, right here, right where you are. But then your discipleship is a process. Take my yoke and learn of me. Oh, oh does it say, take my yoke and get the one waved over you and you'll know everything. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when Christ helped here, we shall, we're we going to know fully. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We'll see him as he is. Hallelujah. And finally, if you're not willing to confess Christ publicly, you cannot be saved. Please don't tell people that. Again, not everybody has your makeup. There are some among us who are exhibitionists. There are some among you 
who don't even want you to see if a button came loose, then button it back up. Amen. See, some, some carry it to different extremes. Some people simply talking about admitting personally and publicly that you're a Christian. Some go so far as to say, well, one must walk forward in church through what is commonly called the altar call. Nothing wrong with that, mind you. Either way, though, if you are pressing that as the be-all, end-all, as to whether or not that person has really gotten saved or not, you and them are missing the boat. Amen, lights. It's just important to be unashamed ourselves of telling people that we are Christians. You know, if the subject comes up, don't avoid it. Trust the Lord. Read his word. Meditate in prayer with him. And guess what? The answer of the tongue coming from the Lord. Oh, I got to plot everything that I'm going to say because I'm that type of person. I just got to have it written down. <laughs> You're going to miss a whole lot of opportunities if that's the case. You know, there's nothing wrong with you having your little, your little pat thing, but God doesn't always work according to our formula. Amen, lights. The deal is we have nothing to be ashamed of. If anything, we would think that God would be ashamed to own us. But he's not. As a matter of fact, he says some things about us that we, we find it difficult to wrap our head around. You are the redeemed. You are washed. You are clean. You are the saints of God. You look at the beginning of, of a lot of the epistle. Called saints. So those at this church, called saints, as Paul is talking to them. Not just somebody say, hey, saint. No. Called saints. You have been called out. You are the ecclesia, the called out ones. You are the church of God, triumphant. You are sons and daughters of the Most High King. Whoa. Because you paid your tithe? No. Because you were part of the willing workers? No. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. The miracles of Christ were designed to wave a banner before the Jewish people, proclaiming Christ as God. Many of them refused to believe. 
John tells us, some did believe. He had done so by many signs before them. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed on him, but because the Pharisees did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Yeah. Sometimes you got the backlash of the world, and some people are able to hang with that, and some people aren't. Are we talking eternal salvation? No. Are we talking rewards at the Bema? Yes. Yes. You can also know that, uh, as John 1.12 says, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those, even those who believe on his name. Romans 4.5 says, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Yeah, I want to be in that Abraham crowd. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God and ching, his account says saved. Hallelujah. Thank you. It's wonderful. The words believe in in the book of John are used consistently for saving faith. Jewish rulers had trusted in Christ, the Messiah, who could save them from their sins, but many of them realized that confessing him in public would have resulted in their excommunication from the synagogue. And some of them, quite frankly, just weren't able to stand up against the pressure. They figured they would lose everything. So they, they were kind of behind the scenes people. Discipleship is necessary to change those aspects of our lives. And if it was necessary for us to just be walking that discipleship as a condition of our salvation, then what of the thief on the cross? because he didn't have any time to walk it. He just confessed it, his belief. He confessed his belief and this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. End of discussion. He didn't say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop you off the cross now and you go on and you, you, you live that disciple's life there and, and, and let your discipleship hook you up and then you can come on. No, this day, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. So please don't use Romans 10, 9 and 10, as we so often use, to support that misconception that if you're not confessing Christ, quote, publicly, you can't be saved. We read that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that say? 
If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Above all else, it's worth noting that the word righteousness right there in Romans 10.10 is the noun form of the word to justify. Romans 5.1 reads, therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified here means to be declared righteous. Therefore, the meaning of the first part of Romans 10.10 is that with the heart man believes and is justified before God. Will probably be a more accurate translation relation to that particular thing. But confession in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is a part of what's necessary to live a victorious Christian life. We're not pushing it aside and say that's not necessary. No. That's a part of being able to live a successful disciple life. The context is arguing that no one has to be willing to confess him publicly in order to triumph over sin. Matter of fact, that probably comes in the opposite thing. The Lord, as he's working on you in discipleship, will allow you, if you're, if you're progressing, to be able to do that. And so why are you saying all of this, preacher? Because misconceptions can be damaging. And it can lead to a whole lot of people turning away from the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because they don't feel like they can measure up. News flash to all of them and to us, nobody does. Because if we did, what need of a savior? But that's why he came, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. You have been listening to Voice of Hope. To support our ministry, text GIVE to 240-493-8490. God bless you for giving. To learn more about our ministry, visit www.theunitedchristianchurch.org. May God's blessings always be with you.